0: Theme song for the Gear Podcast. Nah. Uncle Leon, how you going? How you going, mate?
1: Pretty awesome, mate. What about yourself? You had a good weekend?
0: Yeah, I'm fine. I just uh, you, you hit me with the knowledge about 20 seconds ago that you traitorous bastard. You've jumped to Logic Pro, you f- fool, mate. How dare you,
1: Michael Nielsen? Michael Nielsen told me, and he's a friend of the podcast, so. That episode may have been the one that absolutely pushed me over the edge. But the thing that pushed me over the edge, Troy, we're just getting straight in. Pro Tools wanted $300 for a year-long license. Now, I can pay $1 less than that and get an infinite license from Logic. (laughs) And all I've got to do is learn their stupid key commands and a bunch of other stupid stuff. But they also had a 90-day free trial. So, uh, you know, this is not sponsored by Apple or anything, but I'm in the middle of a 90-day free trial. And I think I've just- I did a similar thing with Final Cut Mm -hmm. and DaVinci Resolve because you can get DaVinci Resolve for $0 and use it to edit videos. So, why pay for Final Cut? And I was using a cracked version of it for, well, let's just say a couple of years. (laughs) Uh, Rather than actually shell out money for it, I just went with DaVinci. So, there was a learning curve with that. And there's definitely a learning curve with Logic. And there's a bunch of stuff. I actually miss with Pro Tools, and I'm not saying I won't ever do it, but I'm gonna I'm just gonna give it a shot. Having a go. The Australian way, Troy. Don't be great, just have a go.
0: As long as we can both agree that we won't be doing going to Reaper anytime soon, then we're cool.
1: I I believe we're cool. I <laughs> believe we're cool right now. Uh you we did
0: a gig on the weekend, mate. We did. It had been a couple of months. When was the last one we did? It was probably another one at the hen, wasn't it? Maybe,
1: probably, yeah.
0: Maybe pre. But it was off-tone. good fun.
1: It was a, it was a pretty good thing. Had some, had some. Well, I had some good food. Had, yeah. uh, what did you order, mate? And burgers. I just had a burger. Yeah. yeah they do a pretty good American-style cheeseburger there. But what I did want to talk about was, mate, the next generation coming in strong under your tutelage, mate.
0: Yeah. A couple of my students came down. That was cool. Um, a couple of my, oh well, my guitar student and came down and jumped up, played some songs, sang some songs. So, that was cool. Um, How old are those kids? They are 15. Triplets. 15. Yeah, they all play. They're good, man. I I went around to their place on Monday because they've got a gig next week, like a band competition thing. So, they're writing some songs, but they're really good. Like, you know, when you write your- I was going to say like your first band's songs, songs for your first band, and it's like three chord pop punk songs. But then I was thinking like actually yours were, were like- Three chord Iron Maiden style songs, but, you know, same sort of- Yeah, same foot to the floor. Yeah. They've got a lot of chords with numbers. So, that was cool. And, like, sections, it's not just, like, here's a block of eight bars and then another block of eight bars for the next part. Like, there were bits in it and the lyrics were, were cool. So, yeah, they're talented kids. It's nice.
1: Yeah, I had, a, I had someone come for a lesson. I've known their parents for a long time. And, yeah, this kid, Vinny, if you're listening to this, you're awesome. 15- First thing he plays when he comes in is Unchain the Night. I just go, (laughs) all right, what else do you know how to play? And it was, Troy, it was just us. But like us at 18, but he's 15. So all about it. It's pretty awesome. But yeah, those those kids that came down, man, like I know one of them got up, but, you know. They all play, man. They're all really good. They all play. For a 15-year-old boy to get up at a venue and not only play a song, but sing and play a song and do it very well was- Really, really awesome. You guys did Easy and Love Rears It's Ugly Head?
0: Yeah, they did Love Rears at a band, competi- like a school thing a few months ago and like kicked ass so bad. And they played it, so- I made him play it so many times over the last like six months. I was like, oh, this will be a good one. And, you know, it sort of works acoustic. I was surprised because he forgot some of the words and I was laughing because, uh, <laughs> stupid kid. No, I don't mean that. he's good yeah. Um, just learn. If you're gonna forget the words, forget all of them, mate, and just just improv. Yeah, yeah. I th- I've told this story a few times to people. I might have mentioned it on here before, but like when I started doing covers, okay. Do you remember the first gig that you and I did as a trio? Like when I played bass and sang three sets or oh, four sets, it was, which was, yeah, like. Literally, Ryan, like the singer from Leon's band, called me and said, oh, hey, I can't do this gig on Friday. It was a Monday. I can't do a gig on Friday. Do you want to do it? And I was like, well, I don't play bass and I don't sing, but let's just give it a shot. So I But learnt- yes. I did it. Because you have to always say yes. Like you say yes and you deal with the consequences. But anyway, I remember um, being super stressed out because you guys had a bunch of songs I'd never, um, I, I didn't know, like Bad Moon Rise, like just stuff I've done a million, billion times now, but like your Bad Moon Risings, Holy Grails, you know, and I had this um, book, like I printed out a bunch of lyrics and stuck him in a in a, a folder, like a, so I could just flick, right. flick through and read the lyrics as I, as I played and brought a music stand and everything. Um, I think, uh, yeah, this was pre having an iPad and obviously I'd do all that. on do The one on time
1: now. you've ever done this?
0: Well, I did it for for a few months. Like I think the, those early gigs with you, but anyway, I, I was just really worried about fucking up lyrics to songs, and then our buddy Anthony, he made this comment of like, oh, I've never learnt the lyrics to any song I've ever played in my whole life, so just just make them up. Like, no one will tell. Like, the vocals, which is, this is semi-true. If, if you're doing a gig like what we do, you don't know what it sounds like out the front because you're too busy playing the song. There's never a sound person there. So, y- you know, nah. you just kind of just do the gig, so who cares? And so I made the lyrics up to a million billion songs, And I just thought, well, who cares? Like, for example, um, the one that always sticks in my mind, it's it's not that funny, but like Lonely Boy, you know, when Lonely Boy, everyone was playing that song. And I just, I kind of knew the first verse because it was semi like easy to remember. And the second one was like, man, I got no idea what's going on. So I used to go, well, I like burritos and it's plain to see. And I just sing the whole thing about food. It was, that was cool. Um, It's the spirit of the blues, mate. Uh, I love that as well, seeing.
1: Spirit of the Blues. <laughs> yeah, Troy Naberband, <laughs> Spirit my of the veins. Blues. Yeah. Stallion, you know, story of the Cimarron, story of the Blues, Troy Navaban. <laughs> it's funny seeing videos by like, you know, you see those obviously like Universal Audio sponsored things with like Rhett Schull where it's like him and Tim Pierce doing something and mm-hmm. it's him and someone else. And, you know, they're these high production things where they're playing classic songs and, you know. That's the world they're living in. And then for us, it's, yeah, mate, it's a two-channel mixer and one speaker, and you just get through the gig and eat a burger and a burrito and job well done. How many That's the real world.
0: Yeah, like this gig, the one that I mentioned, like the first one that I did with Leon, um, because they didn't have, they had maybe a pair of powered speakers there and I think a little mixer. So the thing is like for the sound side, because I've been doing that so long, that's no problem. Um, But then like, you know, the playing, it's obviously a different skill and you have to kind of work out how to sing and play bass and dah, 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 that, that becomes a little bit stressful. But at least getting a sound, I could mostly make it loud enough and balance it the bit to the best of how it probably can sound at that that venue. But I remember there was a few gigs when either the I feel like I didn't have a bass amp or you forgot yep. to bring a bass amp. So, it was just like bass to cable. I think it was a clip-on tuner. So, bass, then a cable, then into the- like line input on the mixer and no that was, preamp. No no preamp, just, no nothing. Just raw dogging. Just <laughs> complete, complete raw dogging it. And um and the thing is, man, we did that gig for what, six months after that? And we lost it because no one ever came down. Not because we sucked or, or we sucked, but like, oh I sucked. But
1: we stopped doing the gig, but we didn't lose the gig.
0: Correct. You know?
1: <laughs> the gig. So, the gig lost us.
0: <laughs> and yeah, and then like even um like the other day when we did that, that hen gig, I was going to say, I said to Leon right before, cause we're talking about microphones and positioning. Cause I'm going to make, I'll mention something in a second, but one of the golden rules of sound, right? Is well, not golden rules, but one of the things you consider when you do live sound is um, your PA speakers, your front of house speakers, they should be relatively high. Cause if they're low, then people stand in front of them and you can't hear the sound. So you generally keep them above head height or at least the um, the tweeters above head height so you can hear clarity. So
1: tell people how I set the PA up for this gig.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. What did you use? So you had some FRFR guitar speakers, a pair, like a stereo yep. pair of what? Are they 10 inch speakers? They're Eight? the
1: Red Sound MF10. So they're yep. like a guitar voiced FRFR. And we did a New Year's gig with everything direct and those, mm-hmm. and we, we put them on stools at this mine site because we had to fly out. So, yep. take the minimum amount of stuff. Mm-hmm. It was like, why take speaker stands when no one cares and we can just put them on stools instead? Yeah. They're really, really great for- I really like them for running guitar through. They were actually pretty decent for yeah. that gig. And they this
0: good at the hen too. It was like yeah. they were two- they went on stands. They were on the stage, which was about a foot high. <laughs> yeah. and um, If that- and Half a foot, f- and we're playing outdoors to a grass area, and probably like what? Would the the pub like undercover pub area is probably like ten meters away from where we were playing. Yep, and you could hear everything fine. It was like, I don't know, man. It's it's so funny. What I don't I don't think it's a gig like that gets enhanced by bringing more gear, a more no. gear, b more expensive gear. It's just you play to the environment. There are other situations that absolutely wouldn't work out, but in that one. Yeah, obviously you've done I that think so many because times. because everyone's
1: understand. everyone's seated, you yeah. know, everyone's eating and drinking, and they're seating at those like park bench things. And then there's children running around on the grass area. Yeah. It's a lovely gig, you know. There's no 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 TVs anywhere, so there's no like sport. There's no. How many gigs do you do where you're setting up and the UFC's on, and you're oh just man. like, this is going to be one of those nights. Always. There's and a, you know,
0: there's a gig. There's UFC regularly.
1: fans there. There's, telling you to not get in the way of UFC.
0: Yeah. There's a gig I do regularly with a T te- like a 72 inch. Te- oh no, bigger. What was it? Like a hundred inch TV or something right above where I play. So I'm like, Oh yeah. So man. about,
1: about half what you normally rock in big
0: dog. <laughs> but yeah, I'm like, Oh yeah. Everyone's like really digging the band today. They keep watching. And then you hear a cheer, like you'll finish your guitar. So it's like, yeah. Yep. And it's oh, someone's kicked a goal in the soccer. So anyway, um, the, the point of the story, like not, don't care that's not the that's not the point of the story it's just that like you know if you can work with what you have and and you know understand the situation that you're in which we're there to enhance a vibe right we're not there to be to be the soul like people aren't necessarily coming to just watch the band they want to just enjoy the the vibe of the venue and, and therefore it's actually not that difficult um quickly so two things to finish my story about the lyrics Because for years and years, didn't give a shit about the lyrics to anything, and um, just made them up if I didn't know them, and Ah. it was it was all good. But I remember then our friend Anthony that mentioned, "Oh, I've never liked the lyrics to anything." Um, He moved to America many years ago, and when he came back, we did a gig together. And um, what does he do? But he rocks up to the gig with a music stand and a folder full of lyrics, and I'm like, "What are you doing, man? Like, it's your fault that I don't do like that. I've just developed this skill because you told me it was fine." Um, traitorous. It's like Leon going to logic. It's just, I'm getting just insulted left, right, and Mate, center. It's like the Roman to.
1: emperors in Ravenna, um, for anyone who loves a bit of the Roman empire. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, that's <laughs> that's quite shocking for, I mean, I once saw Anthony do a gig with Frank Salenza. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, ex-Baby Animals drummer, plays drums in Ryan's Credence Band and, you know, very, very well-renowned. And they were doing what I assume was meant to be an acoustic duo, at the Sail and Anchor and- I think I was there. I think Anthony we was, together, Yeah, right? Anthony yep. was playing his gem. Yep. <laughs> you know, and Frank was playing- So Frank plays, you know, traditional right- Like, you know, hits the snare with the left hand, plays the hi-hat with the right hand over normal- Every other drummer except Ian Pace and Chris Reeve kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? And Frank had completely set his kid up left-handed- like the mirror image and was playing the whole gig like that and with his left foot on the kick. (laughs) So- And they were just like- They were like ripping it. But yeah, he also, you know, did his thing where he was singing a song where he just making up the lyrics and not even- Not even singing words. But there's, you know, probably two of the best musos you've ever seen. And they're just like, yeah, you know, we're doing this gig. We may as well, like, practice. Mm. I remember Frank saying that where it's just like, yeah, I'm just- Mate, I'm bored. I'm going to, like, improve my dexterity on the drums. So I love the thought of, you know, before you retire at 40, Troy, maybe you'll be doing gigs playing guitar left-handed.
0: I, I when I was about 18, I probably spent about two days trying to learn how to play upside down. Yeah, also, did you have this thing of, like, yeah, this will make me better? No, it was, I want to be like Michelangelo Badio. So if I can learn how to play stuff with this hand, like this hand will be fine. And if I could do stuff with this hand, then maybe I can like do some harmonized tapping and all this sort of stuff, which I sort of like, I guess your Stanley Jordan type of stuff. Yep. I can't do it, but I there was probably like a week there when I had worked on it enough to be able to do something. So maybe I could like play chords with one hand and then improvise with the other hand. Um, but nowadays, I don't know. I can't. I can't do guitar with one hand so it's too bloody hard um but anyway oh no nah, it doesn't matter i was gonna say ta- oh you know i'm gonna give people a quick audio lesson because you know there's one yeah, person you were gonna get it
1: we we were building towards something here with microphones yeah and then we'll get to an actual proper right? topic
0: of the of the day but just quickly for everybody just so you understand because yeah tw- almost oh, 19 years this is my 19th year's year of doing audio um because there's a, a person that has commented occasionally on the sound quality of these it's just We do our best, but um, sometimes streaming the audio across the internet like this, you can have mixed results. So uh, apologies when that does happen, but just a quick audio lesson for people, because I did mention to Uncle Leon before we started, because he had the mic out of shot, like a boom, like when you see it TV stuff, Um, which is cool because it'll pick up the sound, but it's also kind of noisy and the tone of it will be different. So these are dynamic microphones, everybody. You know what a dynamic microphone is, Uncle Leon? It has dinosaurs in it. It's absolutely what it is. Now, it's got a little moving, like, coil and magnet on the inside of it. That's what picks up the sound. Well, that's what creates, turns the sound energy into electricity. A bit of a like, wiggly jiggly. Long story short. Anyway, the these dynamic microphones um, from, a, like, up close on a source will sound pretty good. But further away, they, they miss a lot of detail that you get from, like, a condenser microphone or something like that. So, they just sound better. And they sound quieter and all that when you're right on them. There's a few people I've seen that use these micro It's not just you. It's like a lot of people on YouTube. Like, they have these dynamic mics. Like, an SM7, which is also very low gain, like a very quiet microphone, really far away from them. And you can make it work because, like, like, you can use denoising and you can use EQ and stuff to make the mic sound hey, okay. Hey, bro,
1: Isotope. It's isotope. the only reason anything in this room sounds good.
0: Yeah, it's, it's completely fine. Like, it's not that it's not doable, but it's- uh, the way people mic with these mics sometimes is what you expect from like a shotgun mic a, um, yeah. you know a small die from Condenso but one that is very directional like you know the long looks like a, like a shotgun and uh, that's because that's what we see on films and film and TV and stuff they still they have an issue with like picking up ambient noise and stuff but they're made to be mic'd a bit further away but anyway it's just uh, we'll try this hopefully I think when you talk directly into the front of the microphone it always sounds better just from oh, any, yeah. anybody that's out there that um is of interest. Or you do these ones? Yeah, look, Troy, and, uh. and also when you want to make a real serious point, you talk really close into the microphone like this and get the added proximity effect, and it sounds sweet. So there you go. Anyway, quick audio lesson, everybody. So sta- there you go. I started your, doing sound. Get your Lyle from Psionic Audio. Oh my voice god, on. he's got the most beautiful sounding voice on uh on podcasts or uh, um live streams or whatever. Oh my god, it's just amazing. And um so I've been listening to those Sunset Sound roundtables. I just watched the Lee Sklar one and um the the host from that too, just this like rich, beautiful, silky voice. I think he's talking into a U forty seven FET, um, I believe. Which uh probably is why. Anyway, that's not what people are here to talk about, Uncle Leon. They want to hear about guitar gear. So And we want to
1: hear about Rectifiers, Troy, because that's what we're going to talk about today. Rectifiers. Exactly. Uh, Today, just get some sun. We're going to shine a light on the Recto and maybe some other just kind of post 80s high gain things, because it's kind of like there's two big dogs really, isn't there? When it comes to like the sound of high gain guitar After about 1992, right? And you've got them right there in shot. One's pink. One is not so pink. The Dual Rectifier and the 5150. Like, would you argue when it comes to the world we often inhabit Mm -hmm. of high gain, they're maybe the two- They're like the two greatest amps to come out in the last 30 years, if you consider- You know, let's let's think about this. Oh yeah, the electric guitar comes out. Mm -hmm. You got the bassman. You've got the you got the twin. Mm -hmm. You got the JTM45, which is kind of a bassman. But then you got the Plexi, the 2203, the AC30. Like really, and like you know, the Ampeg SVT for the low enders out there. They're the they're the ones that like wrote the book, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're the the stone cold classic sound of electric guitar things, and then you got a bunch of modding those things. So mm-hmm. you go down the modding fenders and you get the Mark series. You go down the modding marshals and you get like everything else. But there's a kind of like an inflection point most people would consider, which is the Soldano SLO. So mm-hmm. like Mike Soldano and check it out, everybody. Soldano Astro. I've done some videos with that. I lent it to a buddy for a couple of days recently and he loved it. And I got it back to make some more videos with. And you can probably just see my hot rod there as well. It's like, I like that sound a lot. Oh yeah, I do see that. Yep. Yeah. So, there- I mean, I don't want it, to- it would be amazing to get Mike Soldano on this show, but Mike Torin has an amazing interview with him. So, shout out to Michael Torin. Go and check out his channel because there's a great interview with Mike Soldano, kind of focusing on the rack stuff he did. Mm. But I digress. It all comes from, you know, this- It's it's like the hot rod car culture thing. Like, you just kind of keep making things more efficient and you give them more gain. But by the time you get to, say, 19, when did the 5150 come out? 92, 93? it was 92. Yeah. Likely. Like, 1992 yeah. is this pretty big inflection point, it seems, where, like, the first 5150 comes out, you know, obviously it's the Eddie Van Halen amp, and he was using an SLO for a little while, apparently after his main Marshall died, but designed to do Eddie things. But mm-hmm. lots of people kind of cottoned on that, like, hey, this thing has so much going on that you can do that's not, Van Halen, and then you've also got the dual rectifier come out, which you know the preamp is an SLO preamp, but the power amps are very different design. There's loads of different revisions with it. Those two things, by the time you get into like ninety nine, two thousand, they're just on everything.
0: Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah.
1: Is this your feeling with it? Where it's like these two? Uh, when I when I started playing, I feel like the dual rectifier was if you if you get it like, bro, you like Marshalls, just the best amps are messes. Like once you can spend five grand on an amp, that's what you're going to do. You're going to yep. get one of these. And of course, it's Australia, the dollar's crap. And yeah, we're literally spending $5,000 on a dual rec. And then the cabinets even more. And then the 5150s as well were, I don't remember being personally as into them, but I knew they were used on, so we're talking 2004, 2005, it was like, Metalcore had entered and everything, everything was a tube screamer into a 5150 in drop C EMGs. It was just like such a, such an extra level of intensity Mm -hmm. that I kind of wasn't used to and basically wasn't ready for. It's the kill switch engage sound, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, like arguably uh, until about like 2010, that was, those were the only two sounds going around, right? Like a heavy stuff. Um, even think about the um, my, uh, what was it like the stuff that we were listening to in like two thousand and eight, like all those frontiers. all that Magnus
1: Carlson yeah. stuff.
0: But like, and all that associated m- music, it wasn't like a marsh directly a Marshall sort of thing that people wanted. It wasn't until like I guess your mini type thing came along a couple of years afterwards that it added a, d- a different flavor into the equation. But I um, I think. It wasn't a sound that I, at that time, I liked as much, kind of like what you're saying. Because I remember trying rectos and just not really working. I, I just couldn't work it out. And the manual also I found really confusing back then and the way people spoke about yeah. how the, it's like an interactive EQ and when you do this, it does that. I was like, well, how are you fucking supposed to learn how to use it? It doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, it, it all it all found it, like seemed really confusing to me. So, yeah, like the recto thing, I associated it so much with nu metal. So I yeah. thought, it. Well, it's was- Linkin Park to me. Yeah,
1: like it's it's Hybrid Theory. The sound of that album to me is like PRS Recto. Yep. <laughs> Why would anyone ever want to use that sound?
0: Yeah, and uh, yeah, and it's it's funny because um, I will talk about it, but like I feel like I'm I'm starting to understand it a bit better for like if I just think of it as a guitar amp. If in fact, if I if I start to think of everything as an as just a tool and not like a tool to only okay. do one purpose. It, it's kind of- It's actually very good and very versatile. Um, yeah, yeah. So, this is a good point, right? Because for- uh, Probably for
1: us growing up, it wasn't that it was just another ramp, It was a recto. Like yeah. kind of mythologized, right? Well, you get a dual rectifier and it's just this different thing, yep. right? And before we sort of talk about a little bit of a brief overview of the history of these things- What was the first, can you remember the first time you played through one and what was your impression?
0: Yeah. I reckon there was, uh, in 2008, I borrowed one. Uh, my sister worked for a, um, she was in high school. Oh, was she in high school? She might've just finished high school, but she was working at this place that was like, they hired amps and did a little bit of PA and lighting and stuff. But yeah, they had it, they had some backline there as well. So, um, I would drop her off on like a Saturday morning and, um, so I completely forgot she worked there, but this is I'm gonna have to remind her because she's a doctor now. It's just like yeah. wild that she she was doing that at like 17. But um yeah, I remember boru like dropping her off for work, and they, they were just like, "Oh, this recto isn't doing anything. Like, why don't you take it for the for the week?" I'm like, "Yeah, fuck yeah." I took it home. I was full on into rack stuff at th- at that time, so I didn't really get how to dial it in. I found it kind of confusing. But what I did really like about it is it made for an amazing power amp for my ADA MP1. That was That's the thing, the main thing I took away from it. But then years later, oh, not that many years later, two two years later, um, Anthony, who we just mentioned, he had the Road King, I think the Road King 2 maybe. And, I remember um,
1: those, yeah.
0: Yeah. And that was like such a beast. Like it's basically a dual rectifier, but you got more tubes and like you, you, it's got like EL34s in it and 6L6s and you can have... Either or, I think you can't. Bl- Surely you can't blend them. That wouldn't make any sense. You probably can on
1: something like a Road King, no? Because uh, similar class, right? That's oh yeah, okay. that's the, a boogie thing. I think the Mark Three, maybe right? Well, anyway, allowed, yeah, you could you could do that if you wanted to do it.
0: Yeah, so for some reason I, f- I feel like there was a setting that was like you could run four six or sixes and two El thirty fours. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But I remember uh, having a band rehearsal at the studio and just using that amp because it was there and I just couldn't get a fucking sound out of it, man. Like, let alone using it for sessions. Like, I really struggled for that. But standing in front of it, cause it felt so unintuitive because I had the bass on zero and uh-huh. and it sort Can't of started sounding okay. Like when it was maybe not like on one or whatever, it was like really low. And and also around the time, um, friends of the channel, um, Chaos Divine, like they were, they'd gone into the studio to record one of their albums and I went in and helped them out a little bit to get some guitar sounds and stuff. And I think um, one of the guitar players had a recto and um, yeah, I was like playing with it then I was like, man, I just, yeah, I can't really, can't really make it work. And the thing that really confused me is I um, makes sense so much sense now, but I just never understood at the time why you would put a distortion pedal in front of an amp amp, which is realistically, you know, tube screamer, not a distortion pedal as, as we think of it. But I was like, why would like, why would you have an amp that sucks and you can only make it work by putting something to make it less or suck less like that just doesn't make any fucking sense yep. to me so anyway that was my that was my first intro to, to rectos what yeah are they, yeah what i think you? i th-
1: like i was obviously always aware of them and i want to say i i reckon maybe the first time i actually got to properly play through one was when we tracked the very first ragdoll ep mm-hmm. again Anthony was recording it. And when I did guitars, he was like, let's just use the Road King. And I'd done some of the guides with my Soldano Hot Rod. Mm -hmm. So, here's the tie-in. When I first started going to gigs, so 2007, 2008, you know, I'd been introduced to some people that we know, and I'd go down to the Paddo and see Dr. Feelgood play. Mm -hmm. And cover band Brian was in there, our buddy Tony on lead guitar, you know, our buddy Umi on guitar, who knows Anthony. And he was playing- through that amp, that Soldano Hot Rod 50, which belonged to another friend of ours, friend of the channel, not Nick DeLena, Nick Rossetti. Sometimes interchangeable, very, very different men. Shout right. out to the Knicks. And I was like, there's a dude playing a Soldano. Like, what the actual, like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And I got talking to him and he's like, oh, hey, man, yeah. So, like, I really like Richie Cotson. I was like, who is this dude? You know, like, what's what's going on? Little did I know I was getting introduced to the- to the entire universe of all these people we ended up spending so much time around so he goes oh yeah my it belongs to my buddy nick i'm just borrowing it but i think he's selling it i normally play i've got a dual rectifier and i was like why would you want to play a dual rectifier when you can have that Soldano?' <laughs> so anyway i ended up buying the soldano and then you know a few years later recording uh, down at crank recording with anthony using his Road King that you were just talking about. Yeah, Recto Road King and kind of not loving the sound. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't used to it and it was really hard to play. And I basically just let him dial it in. He was like, trust me, it'll work. It'll work in the mix. And it was fine. Actually, that, I mean, that EP is still up on Spotify. If you look up Ragdoll Rock from 2011. You can hear the Road King on those. And Mm. I never loved those sounds that we pulled on there. It was always a point of like, ah, well, it's the first thing we did, whatever. And then of course, a few years later, Troy, you bought your Marshall and then we retracked all those guitars. And I was a thousand times happier with it. Probably because I'd actually learned to play the songs by that stage and I had some experience under my belt, but I digress. Using the Road King was probably my first experience didn't love it. I used a triple rectifier as a backline app in 2014 on tour. Mm-hmm. We got to play this gig and they had house backline and this guy's like, oh, dude, there's a triple recto on a boogie 4x12, like go for it. So, I just plugged my pedal board in. Now, it's funny because at the time I was gigging with one of those 6505 112 combos yep. that were like dirt cheap in the States. sounded great. So, I was kind of, you know, ah. Oh, 6505, that's kind of Soldano y. I'll buy one of those, use that for years, love that little thing. Oh, cool. I've heard the Rectos kind of have something to do with the 5150 and the Soldano. I'll plug in. Hated it. Like one of the least enjoyable backline experiences I've ever had. It was like the thing was when I, if I was playing the PV or I was playing a Soldano or a Marshall, you know, there's this kind of like immediacy chewiness to the sound oh, right. and like f- it's forgiving and you can just. Playing the Rectifier, I wasn't ready for just the- it, like the transient response is different, the yep. distortion texture is different. It was really, really difficult. So, I was like, this sucks. But then, this is this is the pivot point with the Recto. Uh, shout out to our buddy, Nigel, who I believe let you borrow his Roadster. Yeah. So, not a Road King, a Roadster. It's like slightly more pimped out than a standard Rectifier, but not as pimped out as a Road King. Yeah. And- we, so, we, we recorded a single in 2015, yep. Rewind Your Mind. You did it, we did it at Crank. And I remember you saying to me, hey, like, come into the studio, you know, a few days before and we'll set up some amps and we'll just kind of like, we'll, we'll play a few amps in the room really loud through a cab and we'll see what we like. And we tried a few things and I remember, yeah, playing, we were both playing through that and it was kind of like a light bulb moment where I want to say in that moment, whatever you did, I got the sound and I was like, ah, oh, this is kind of awesome. I really, really like this sound. I think and too because
0: you guys started like exclusively playing in drop D, and um, yeah, Animal- drop C or drop C, sorry. And it was yeah. like heavy riffy. It just works so well for that. Like the 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 spongy. You're like you don't need everything. Isn't about the lead guitar sound. All of a sudden, it's about like how like yeah, yeah. big do the riff sound. And so the yeah, that that worked really well.
1: We went all in on trying to sound like it's the first thing that I think properly sounded like. That's the ragdoll sound now, you know, that was from that session. And then, yeah, tracking it. And I just remember loving it and going, man, this amp is amazing. I need to buy one. And to me, I didn't know the difference between a Road King and a Roadster and a Revision G and a Multi-Watt. I was just like, I I need a dual rectifier. Like, I just need to buy one. So, I think the next week I just looked on Marketplace and there was someone who had- (laughs) He had two for sale and it turns out one was the Rev-G that, spoiler, I ended up buying and then we used to track all of Back to Zero the next year. And another one was a Multi-Watt and it was like, I want to sell- It was kind of like, I need to sell one of these amps, come and try them. And I got to this guy's house, and the first one that I plugged into was the Revision G, and I was like, "Yeah, sounds awesome. I'll take it." He's like, "Oh, you don't want to try the other one?" I was like, "No, nah, I want this one." And yeah, that's that's the amp because this I, is all I, bef- I,
0: all before Leon became Mr. Fractal, and yeah, um, this is <laughs> this is 2015. Yeah, so yeah, there's pictures of both that experience in the studio of us in the live room like cranking amps because we had a bunch of stuff there. Yeah. Um, and there's also one from the back to zero session where there was like all like, the amps. Yeah. Like 12 heads in like stacked up, which nowadays, cause I've got a list stuff. It's kind of less, it matters to me less. But at the time we'd borrowed so much stuff and, um, you know, you and I had started to re- well, you you've always had a really cool collection of gear, but I started to collect a bit more bits and pieces and yeah, which, it, it was pretty fun to, to go through all that. The, um, the, the road uh, road stir, yeah. We used it for. Did we boost and stuff with that? I th- I think yeah. It was- that was
1: that was definitely like either a tube screen or probably that Anarchy Audio clon That's into right, it. Yeah. I feel like we definitely it was sort of like hey, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna boost high gain amps. Like we we <laughs> we finally figured out what you know, Everyone else in flames does. we're doing in the mid nineties is a good idea to do in
0: 2015. It's just so stupid, man. Like it's actually not that stupid. I should, I don't want to like belittle us so much because, um, you really, you don't understand sometimes like other people's lived experience and how like second nature <laughs> th- things become. Like I, I said, listening to this, um, uh, the sunset sound roundtable thing. Um, like, there's stuff that Lee Sklar's talking about how they record albums and some of the artists and it's just that, that's just like life. That's how you, like he was, uh, there's a part where he talks about recording in the studio and, you know, hating baffles and all this sort of bits and pieces. And like, you know, that makes so much sense to get that sound and why things are just uh, like the way the band's always all playing together and stuff and why it feels so organic and da da da. It's like, it's second nature to that generation of players, you know? Yes. Um, for yes, us, yes. there's, like, elements of, like, rack gear and putting, like, doing that, which is, it feels like, well, yeah, of course. Like, if you want to get that, I, I don't know, pick an ADA artist, like, that Vito Brata sort of thing. Um, yep. Or, you like, the, the way to put those rigs together because we, like, lived it or tried to live it. At a very young age, we didn't have quite have all the money for it, but yeah, we just don't think we about
1: cosplayed it. it. We cosplayed that era, like you we know, totally it was, did. It's never coming back, and then it's then like- never coming back, kids. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, that's just never coming back. Rackier is fun. I like collecting it. The nostalgia is nice, but just don't buy an eighty-eight MP one for a thousand dollars. Like, yeah, that's silly. You know that buy yourself a nice dinner and a bunch of plugins and go and make some music. Yeah. But, you know, but, it, but yeah, yeah, like it's that sort of big stuff, time.
0: guitars, like playing certain styles of music. It's like, it's so second nature to some people. And for us, like it takes a while to, to come around to it. So yeah, I, I don't think we had this like immediate realization of like, well, we've reinvented the wheel. We changed, like we've changed the world, but it's like, got it right. Here's like the, the uh, whiteboard, with a bunch of squares on it and things that we need to learn and we can like tick one off the list. Yeah. And there's only like 600 squares left now, but at least there's maybe four or five that have been kind of like ticked off. And um yeah, anyway, it's 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 just funny man, it's um like now getting that and now applying that to other amps and and thinking about it like when I listen to certain sounds I go like, "All right, do I hear that boosted thing do it? does it feel like it's yeah. just the amp?" You know, you can dial it around your brain. So. so,
1: a very quick digression for anyone listening to this who might be thinking, why would you use an overdrive in front of an app that already has gain is, and if someone had explained this to me years ago, I might've got it. I might've just been like, yeah, whatever, bro. But really what you're doing is you're altering the frequency response going into the amp. Mm-hmm. So, the classic example is- a tube screamer, right? And look, a lot of amplifiers allow you to do this. They have various gain stages and they have filtering in between the gain stages. So, you essentially, you turn the drive on a tube screamer down, you know, you move the tone control around, you're creating a filter. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you're also hitting the front of the amp harder, but a high gain amp's already saturating. You're not going to make it you're not really boosting the overall output volume. You're changing the amount of saturation or gain or distortion, but you're also often cutting out low end, which is going to make the guitar sound muddy. You're kind of pushing more mid-range and you might be rolling off some high end. It might be more of an open sounding kind of thing, but you are changing what's coming out of the pickups and hitting the front of the amp. Mm. And like it's, again, the analogies with a lot of other things, you know, it's kind of like cooking. It's like- That overdrive pedal is like getting a really nice sear on a steak, like, you know, you cook it really, really hot going in and then you bring it down, you get that, you get that crust, but you don't make it crusty all the way through. So, yeah, doing that with a rectifier, which has a lot, a lot of low end Mm -hmm. going on, you know, it can, it can really, really help. It gets you kind of, it's more than the sum of the parts.
0: Yeah. And then, um, because when did I get that tight drive? Was that 2012? Hey, yes. this is like a- this
1: is a great tie-in with the 5150 as well, because the amp tweaker type drive, I, I feel like you bought that the, in 2012 I in did. the States.
0: I did. I got it yeah. for like a hundred bucks because Doug Pinnick, who I love, because we all know how much I love King's X, but he did a demo video for it because- well, he just did. I don't know why. Um, and why he, wrote, he wrote a really cool song and a riff for it as a, a part of the advertisement which I love and I used to get it stuck in my head, but um, yeah, I found one secondhand in like a guitar center in Nashville, so I bought it. Um, But that's got a variable high pass filter on it. So yeah, you can tighten up the low end. Whereas like the Tube Screamer, you know, a lot of people understand how this works. When you use a Tube Screamer, yeah, it rolls off the bottom end and it gives you a bit of a like bump in the mid range. The tight drive, just variably, you can just turn the knob and then the bottom end disappears a bit. So yeah, if you're using an amp like a rectifier, for me, I had the bass on like nothing uh, on, on the road king to make it feel the way I wanted to feel, it's like, well, I can do that with a pedal. But what's yeah. important is, as you mentioned, like where you place this filtering in the signal chain. Um, if it's, if you've got so much lower, like Jason Headfirst, um, any, not any, a lot of his videos when he talks about modding marshals, um, it's about re- reducing the bottom end going into the preamp section. Because if you've got so much bass h- hitting the front of an amp, it flubs up and it doesn't sound tight. So, if you your bass control in your amp is at the like after the preamp section, so you can't remove the like boominess uh, and distortion of yep. uh, a boomy, sludgy distortion from the front of the preamp by using the bass control. It has to be done beforehand. So, I mean, lighter pickups, not lighter um, uh, pickups that are not as bassy, will have that effect as well. Yep. Um, pedals are probably easier than continually like yeah yeah on soldering pedals. Uh, so Big time. Time the ups. other
1: thing as well is if you think about on some amps the way the bass control works and then if you are carving out bass with a pedal, it's it's kind of like in the synth world, right, where like say subtractive synthesis, it's you just make tones and then you filter them. Mm-hmm. But then having a resonant filter can be part of the sound, like you sweep that resonant right. filter and, you know, it's it's part of the sound of different classic synths and they have sort of like different, you know, different slopes and all sorts of different stuff going on. It's sort of like having a pedal that cuts bass and then having an amp that boosts bass, you can kind of create this like resonant, you can like change that peak on there. And that, that itself can have a sound. And like, you know, think of the classic sound of different pickups as well. Like pickups, you know, they roll off high end, basically. They're also kind of filters, but where the high end starts to roll off, there's a little knee in mm. there. So, and where that is can really kind of determine, you know, how a particular pickup in a particular guitar works with a particular amp. So, yeah, I often think of that where it's like, it's not, and because this is non-linear stuff and it's distorting, there's that extra factor in there where it's part of the fun. Mm. Like, do you want the amp straight in? Do you want a pedal in front of it? Do you want something happening in post? It's very, very fun. But that amp tweaker tight drive, that tight control was so important. Yeah. Now, that amp tweaker, all the designs are done by James Brown, who is the engineer who designed the 5150 mm. with Eddie Van Halen. And rather than rehash all of that, go and watch the tone talk with James Brown. It's amazing. There's he's he seems like such a wicked dude. Um, but we'll we'll get to the 5150 thing in a second. With the rectifier, Mm -hmm. like all good mythological pieces of gear, right, um, there's multiple revisions. So, there's actually a website called rectifiedguide.com, which has sort of amalgamated all this information, where basically they were saying the first prototypes for the dual rectifier was, uh, let me see, I think 87, no, 89 to 91. So, they were built into Mark IV chassis. And this is, you know, this is still like the hair metal era. More gain is more good. But the first actual revision that came out, so it came out in February 92. And the list price was $1,195 American dollars. And this is the one with the kind of silvery mm. chrome panel, black knobs, and then the black hammered out, you know, the tread plate
0: look what on that, re- right? So what
1: revision do you say that is? So that's revision C. The so C, apparently right. that's the first
0: 280 odd amps made and uh yeah i'm not sure if you'll talk about this at the very end but like interestingly umi that we mentioned before who was playing yep. the soldano but leon uh he, he did have a rectifier so that amp yep. that like umi's specifically umi's rectifier lived at the studio for like a couple of years and he sold it a, a couple of years ago it's one of my big gear regrets that i didn't buy yeah because um, it sounded really, really good and it sounded really different to other rectifiers. Everyone commented on that. Um, I you know, said I didn't have the money at the time to buy it and I really regret it. Having watched some videos and stuff, like mostly fluff videos, so I think mm-hmm. this website might be his recto guide. Oh, right. Um, Interesting. I, it might be, but uh, I can't remember which one it is, but I have a feeling Umis was like a Rev C because he bought it in America in like 2004 and brought it back to um, WA and had it all like- Converted to 240.
1: And looking at at the photos of this, it looks like his amp. Yeah. I just- I always remember thinking, man, that's really weird. His amp doesn't look like a normal recto. What's going on? So, basically, Revision C, Revision D, and Revision E, they're the first 600-and-something amps, uh, and that's still 92. And then this reckon serial 643 to the 3000s were Revision Fs, Mm -hmm. and these look more like what you expect a rectifier to look like. They have the chrome tread plate- thing and they've got the black backdrop for the knobs with the chrome knobs on there so Mm -hmm. if anyone's ever seen a recto it's basically what they look like now these were two channel rectifiers as well so you had the like the it could either be orange or green right so you could have as a clean channel and then there's this like vintage mode which i guess is kind of more a classic crunch sort of thing or you can clone the red channel onto the orange channel. It doesn't sound exactly the same as the red channel. This is, like, the beauty of these things, you know? It's not just, like... But it's a cool idea where you can have both channels if you want on that, like, modern high-gain setting. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah. So, that's the Revision F. Now, my personal one that I have, the serial number is a Revision G serial number, but it has the Revision F cosmetics. And my understanding is... So, mine is a an Australian export model, basically. So, I think for the export models, they're kind of- What I've read about anyway with the Rectos is that, yeah, they still use the small logo and the old faceplates for the revision G exports, but they changed over to what you consider like the standard classic, the Rev G, two channels. It's got the bigger uh, Mesa logo on it, two channels. And this is like 94 to 99, they may be. So, this is probably like but if you played is a Messer in that though? time, you probably
0: played one of these. But that's just cosmetic. It's not like in, in like internally there's no differences? Between the I F think and there, were some, oh, there were some- In each of
1: these revisions, the circuit did change very, very slightly. in different things with the transformers. Um, I think the revision F, they added the parallel loop. Oh, okay. Which is an easy mod if you want it changed over. And that's right. You also had- They were using the old Boogie Mark III output transformers uh, right. up until around the like- 1300-ish serial numbers. So, different Transformers, a few different things. Uh, they also came out with the rack mount rectifier. There's a John Sykes rig rundown from 92, 93, where he's got a, a rectifier as people like to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like all in on that. I, apparently, George Lynch had a- I know he toured with a Recto for a while. Apparently, his was like a Rev-C, which would be more yeah, because I think- More it, like a Soldano, I basically. think I
0: watched a video or someone was talking, it might have been Fluff, it might have been someone saying like the original Rectos were like a hair metal sort of an amp. That's why they had so much game yeah. on them. And they just yep. evolved because that music became super lame to people. So, you know, like that wouldn't be surprising. Um, George likes to play the bougie gear, right? So, yep. at the time- it All of have, the
1: bougie gear. Yeah, A true gas addict. Yep. Yeah. Um, and yeah, look, we haven't even talked about some of the specifics of these, right? Like the things, and most people would know that the preamp of a rectify, the high gain mode, it's an SLO. Like Mike Soldano has many times said, you know, he looked at that and just went, oh, you know, this is one of those like, don't copy your friend's homework kind of thing. But the power amp section is very different. One one big aspect of that sound is there's no negative feedback on the modern high gain mode. Mm-hmm. so. The amp's really sensitive to the type of load you connect to it. So, connecting it to different cabinets, you know. um, I definitely played mine through a bunch of different cabs and, like, playing it through an oversized Boogie 4x12 is, like, it's a thing. It's so different to playing it through a Marshall 4x12 or through a 2x12 or various other things. Like, it very much changes the way the power amp sounds and responds. But then you've got the kind of classics so you have. Switches on the back, one is called bold and spongy. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So you can, it's kind of like a variac-ish kind of thing where you can, you know, you can have a tighter response or a really spongy, squishy response. And then it's called a dual rectifier because you can have tube rectification or you can have solid state rectification. Again, it changes up the feel a little bit. Like for you, what, where do you set those things on your recto? Uh,
0: Let me tell you, because I (laughs) can't remember
1: um I've so and the other thing as well after 99 they came out with a three-channel recto as well um and then there's various things with that and you have the mo- you know power scaling on them and stuff like yep. that let so, me uh, sorry i'm gonna get and, up and
0: have a look because i can't remember where yeah. i said it last time but i like where it's at at the moment so
1: so yeah basically we are in- soldano slo preamp heavily influenced that and then the spin off with the 5150 is that Soldano, Eddie was using a Soldano, and it's kind of based on that design as well. So that's why we're why I've been mentioning Soldano and why I've been mentioning the fifty-one fifties. Troy's just getting in there, having a look at it, and he's going to tell us where he's got these set. I'm while he's not listening, I'm going to say yeah, for me bold
0: silicon diodes.
1: Yes, there you right, go. On, I this do this like the tube rectification go. on there. Sometimes you it's really a different feel, thing. but the spongy mode. I'd this never really got on Oh my god with, Unless you're oh, going oh for like god. a vintage god. thing Ah, oh, Troy what are you doing mate
0: mate Sorry You're just gonna have to one ear it This is the worst thing I ever bought in my life I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna like Say what brand these earphones are But I know you have some as well They cost a significant yep. amount of money And they fall apart continuously Even when I uh, Tape them together <laughs> So They may or may not be an Australian company Yeah let's just yeah, I'll move on from that. But I, they sound pretty good, but far out they are unreliable. Yeah, oh, so yeah. Recto, uh, currently in bold silicon diode mode, um, but I changed yep, it up a little that's, bit.
1: That's where I like it for the chugger chugger. like boost it, have those on there. I remember, so um, the guy who services my apps, um, old Graham, who I actually got in touch with, he's still kicking, mm-hmm. he's still doing well, i got to go visit him. And basically he's- my my Recto had a bunch of issues. Like you needed to have the foot switch plugged into the foot that's switch right. jack for it to work. And basically what was happening was when that wasn't in there, it was shorting out the power supply that controls the switching system and the power to V1. So oh, the amp's right. on, but there's no sound. So he was like, this is a bad design, I fixed it for you. And then he said, mate, this switch on there that says bold or spongy, he's like, when you put it on spongy, that's really bad for the amp. Why would anyone ever use that? <laughs> And I was like, oh, yeah, it's a bit of a sound. He's like, don't do it. So <laughs> I just, well, I just don't. Um, the um, and the, the thing I'll change the most is like, yeah, tube or silicon rectification.
0: The it was Jason's uh, live stream that with Dave Friedman and Bruce Egnater, like they talk about the rectos a bit. In fact, like the rectos do come up a bit in some of those in the the technical amp nerd live streams and videos and stuff which is really yep. interesting because everyone hate uh, appara- appears that everybody hates them um, because they are so complicated on the inside which is I don't think the reason yeah. why people hate them it's just that like design wise they do some very odd things uh, like mute circuits and whatnot I believe has come up a few times in I don't know I don't know the specifics of these things I won't say it's good or bad but um, yeah just odd odd ways of getting it to, to work. Thing is, like, they do sound a certain way, so it's like, to I can't hate on them as a as a user. I can only hate on them so much. Mine has been. I'm not gonna say it's bulletproof because I did get it retubed recently. So, but also, I don't know if it had ever had that done in its entire life, and it's yeah 20 years old or something now. So, it was bound to happen sooner or later. Um, but yeah, as a as a tool, as an uh, like all these things are, it's super awesome and usable. Um, it does something that like a Marshall won't do and a Vox won't do. It's like it's its own sound and its own thing. Um, yeah, so what's, what are the
1: modes on the three channel? Because basically the two channel is you have like the red channel, that's normally your modern sound, but you can have that as like modern or vintage. Then there is a clean mode, mm-hmm. but normally most people don't even bother with that. It's sort of like, it's basically like recto vintage, which is, I don't know, to me, it almost kind of sounds like a higher gain tweed sort of sound like yep. it's very farty and flubby and it's kind of cool like you plug a telly into it but then it's the high gain sound that's what everyone wants but on the three channels there's like the raw mode and a bunch of stuff yeah so, raw yeah.
0: and modern is pretty much i think that's what it
1: is now i remember the raw sounding like really really good for like a crunch style thing right
0: yeah hang on one more time. i'll get up i'm gonna hold this earpiece together as well so i don't yep what have i got upset at the moment i think i've got
1: so while we're taking a look modern, as yeah, well,
0: sorry. raw vintage modern. I, I was getting vintage and raw mixed up. I've got yep. channel two currently set to vintage and channel three set to modern. What I said, modern, yeah. Um, the raw one, I think I didn't like that one as much recently. There's a bit, of, there's a gain difference between the channels as well. So it's not like you can just I see. like flick the switch and then it all changes. Like you've got to readjust your your volume settings, which is just that's fine. Like, I mean, the, um, Jose mod stuff in Marshalls is the yep. same, right? So yeah, I, um, I, I struggle with that amp a bit because, okay. Firstly, with anything mess boogie, just read the manual. You have to read a manual. Yeah. Like it makes the biggest like difference in the world because things are labeled weirdly. So I believe in like, and just, yeah, to co- continue on that train of thought for one second, like in the modern mode, right. And I said, I have that on my, on the channel three, the red channel, like in that mode, the presence control isn't like because th- present that's negative feedback, right? Well, the presence on, on a normal interacts
1: app. with the negative feedback. Yeah, right. normally, yeah, and normally, yeah. Yeah.
0: So I believe in- when you
1: have negative feedback, the presence control is a presence control. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I
0: believe in like the modern mode on the on that recto, it doesn't work like that sort of presence control. It's actually like a low pass filter, so it's just like right. when it's all the way off it's a low pa- a low pass filter means that it's just wiping all the top end off the amp and yep. as you increase the presence control what you're doing is actually taking the frequency of the low pass filter up higher and higher and higher until it doesn't do anything anymore i believe you get more of that signature frying bacon sizzle yeah but that's i mean that's just the the, the labeling of it makes sense because as you turn the the presence control up on a traditional amp that has presence it's going to increase like the higher end frequencies as you do it, like it's doing the same thing. It's just doing it in a slightly different way, like technically in a, in a different way. But yeah, again, all that's in the manual, um, which helps to read like some, there are certain things where once I've read it and I can understand how something is supposed to work, I can do the thing it's supposed to do. Sometimes I do struggle. Like it's really stupid. Like I, 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 struggle to twist the knobs into the position where I like the sound of it the most. Um, That's not exclusively the case, but um, you know it helps. Like I'm looking at this Timmy pedal at the moment. What's the thing on that one? There's one. There's like the knobs are backwards on that thing. Yeah. So they're
1: as you turn turn them up, they're actually cutting frequencies, which you're gonna
0: hear that. Obviously, that's that's a bad example. But yeah. Anyway, like long story short, I just like to. I'm interested about how these things work so i like to um, Yep. i like to look at the knobs but yeah the, now, the way i've got this sorry um the, i've struggled with the tone getting a tone i liked so what i did not that long ago was um i watched a couple of videos with people um and how they dialed the, the amps in and uh, specifically on the three channel because like the three channel is is different sounding to the the early ones and the multi watts like it's yep. its own thing so I was like, all right well you know, it's not an uncommon app people. And I know people hate on them a bit, but it's still like a really great app. So I just got to kind of sat there and I didn't like, necess- I, I looked at some of the knob settings. I was like, just to, as a reference point. And then I just, by ear, it was like kind of move stuff around a little bit, a few millimeters at a time, because the knobs on them are super sensitive. Yep. And I got them dialed into a place that was actually really satisfying. Um, and I still move from there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like, it's, just, it's not a set and forget sort of thing. But that's kind of how I settled on like having the vintage mode on one and the raw yeah. mode on the other. Um, it just kind of works. Like the, it, it's weird because with this amp, like if you go on forums or hear people discuss it, I've, I've seen people say like, oh, well, again, like uh, assumed knowledge or whatever, like uh, just the understanding of it. Uh, some people were like, well, obviously you only use the red channel modern setting for your riffage and then you use your, vintage sound for your lead stuff because it's like a different sort of character which it that feels backwards because the modern is gainier sounding so you'd think like well that's gonna have a lot more searing sort of high-end sort of thing but well in fact like it does sound really good for rhythm rhythm guitar and like the fact that you get a bit more mids and a bit more like I don't know I can't I don't really know what, what word to describe it but it's like
1: these are all cases of best practice right it's like oh well this is just the best practice for this particular piece of gear yeah yeah. You know, so, so yeah, it is to, to me, it's only ever been something I've used as like a chugga chugga rhythm amp, yeah. You know, whereas I feel like you're doing a lot more recording with it where you're doing more than just sludgy drop C riffs. So, yeah, well, I can um, use You the, recorded something, yeah, recently with, where it sounded awesome, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's definitely it's still like the recto sound, it's just not as much gain.
0: Well, because I'd moved all this stuff around at the end of last year, um, the so yeah, the, this rack here with the peak, the the recto and the 5150 and stuff is currently wide in. The other rack is not. And um, that's because I like, I only recently got the second rack so I don't have the cables and stuff for it yet. I have to go and make some. And uh, yeah, at the doing the session, because it was all set up, like I'd plugged those amps in. The height of these shelves is in such a way whereby like the second shelf down doesn't fit all the amps. And, but one of them is yeah, right. slightly small enough to get, like five amps and it's really stupid, but anyway. Um what was plugged in at the time, uh and I think the ch- something was weird with the yeah, the cherry tone, something was going on with that. So uh the matchless clone. I tried to use that, but there was like this weird like little harmonic going on and I was I kinda had to bail on that. Yeah, right. And I was like the song didn't really need a marshal and it didn't need a splawn and at fifty one fifty felt too heavy. So I thought well like the recto's like got three channels, like surely that's gonna have something that's gonna work. And yeah, it did. It was awesome. I used it with the Timmy pedal because I'm borrowing that off a friend of the channel, Chris. And used that for this entire track with my um, Chavelle. So it was like, it, it was a pretty there simple process. Um, and then you do a session like that and you go, why do I have all this shit when I can do yeah. everything with one amp and one guitar? That's pretty dumb. And one guitar. That's funny. It. But the um, the thing is, I used every channel of it. Like the clean, I used the clean on it and the clean was awesome. I used it with the like the Strymon Mobius and the Something else, the Cap- El Capistan maybe, um, for a bit of, you know, effect. Um, I used the uh, the red, the channel three for all the high stuff, but yeah, all the rhythms were just timmy in the into the vintage, and it was great. Like it, it just, it worked. It wasn't.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's something that, you know, like a fifty-one fifty or an SLO, I'm sure they can probably do them, but they're just like not renowned for doing that sound. Like there's something in especially the three channel rectos on that vintage mode where they're pretty good pedal platforms and you know they're also like the the vintage mode if you hit it with like a fuzz pedal it's a great amp for like doom Mm. or like stoner stuff they're actually super versatile and i I feel like there's something in that the gain structure is different enough where like a soldano or a 5150 to me they build on that you know like you know the the plexi everyone loves right Mm -hmm. it's the Marshall 1959 lead model, right? Mm -hmm. Like it goes all the way, there's something in that where they're like, yeah, this is, this is, these are terms that don't really apply anymore, but they kind of used to mean something where it's like, yeah, this is for lead guitar. This is for like like loud single note soloing so that you can hear the soloist. And, you know, to me, the best example of that's like Richie Blackmore, someone who hated playing rhythm guitar, (laughs) loved playing solos, hear the 200 watt Marshall majors, you Mm -hmm. know, ridiculous amps, but, um. Like the fifty-one fifty, you know, it's it's Eddie Van Halen's amp. Like you know, yeah. the everyone's favorite lead guitar player, like the embodiment of the lead guitar player in a band. Uh, even though, hey, Eddie's rhythm playing is really where the party's at. But I digress. The Soldano as well. It's this thing for high gain lead playing, and they there's this sort of like there's this character that you always know they're there. Whereas I feel like with the recto, it diverges enough from that where you're like, yeah, if you just want to like track rhythm guitars for a pop punk song, it works really, really good. Yeah. If you want to, it can do the lead guitar thing as well, obviously, but yeah, there's, that you can change the gain structure enough from the sort of tight, filtered, high gain thing that the Soldano and the 5150 do, where I see people write off the dual rectifier, I was like, oh, it's just an SLO, but not as good. You're like, well, that's, that's missing the whole point, bro. Yeah,
0: like yeah. To, to piggyback on what you said, it's like the um the there's it's not a bland character, but you can make it f- disappear in something, which I yeah. think is an odd concept for some people. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Sometimes, like I mentioned, when we do these gigs, right, we just we're there to create a vibe. We're not there to be like the star yeah. of the show. And a lot of um. There's there's a lot of situations whereby yeah, you just need to make something sound big or fill the space and not not have your ear just be so taken by the guitar sound. Because a lot of like for, for music that isn't for guitar players, um, like yeah, pop song or just a normal like rock of the
1: of of music of <laughs>
0: Yeah. And I like man, like you know, like we both love guitar sounds and guitar amps and guitar players and guitar music and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, there's a huge part of music where it's just got to be part of the song. And I think that- Yeah. That works really well. Um, and there's a lot of- It also gets me- Hey, and that kind of fits the new metal aesthetic, right? Which was like, who cares about
1: solos? It's all about the vibe yeah, the, and like- re- The chugger-chugger you know, and the- The chugger-chugger the and the of groove the sound. and- Yeah, but, the weight of the sound where it's like, <clears throat> yeah, whether it's Linkin Park or Limp Bizkit or, you know, Creed or something. It's like, it was- That was an era where, whether they were all- song focus or people just paying lip service to it, but it's like that amp is there yeah. at that time.
0: But I was going to say it's like the- I, I'm not really being a pedal guy ever because I just think amps are cooler and the way that I play when I play a, uh, a like a dirty amp is just way more satisfying and reacts like, yeah. like I can react to it way differently. But I, I can't, if I think about certain pedal sounds um, as being- like giving just the general idea of distortion and overdrive rather than giving the, f- the sense of like, oh, okay, it's going to sound like a Sordano. It's going to sound like a Marshall yep. or whatever. Um, it's just that, that genericness of it. Um, that's what I appreciate about like a really good, like overdrive pedal or distortion pedal. Like, you know that yep. I really, I, I haven't still haven't got one, but the Brown protein, like I'm still super yep. into it. That to me, when I played the nobles side is just like, a generic overdrive sound and it sounds dirty. Yeah. But what's so great about that is it just allows me to play a song and and fit like where I'm like, yeah. all right, I, I'm playing this part, but I can just hear this spikiness in the uh, at 3K or I can hear- it's Like arts.
1: maybe why country guitar players froth the ODR1, why it's like yeah. the standard, because if you're playing guitar in Nashville and you're recording, that's what you're there to do. Like yeah. you're there to just- contribute, you know. Yeah, you- I got an analogy for you Troy. We got the the SLO 100, the 5150 and the dual rectifier. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I don't own an SLO, but I own a Hot Rod 50. It's close enough. No matter what anyone tells you, it's it's the it's the thing. It's that amp is not a 5150. Like it's you no. play through it, it's it's a different vibe. <laughs> Apologies to anyone who's not an Australian Rules football fan, but the SLO is Buddy Franklin. <laughs> okay. Yep. It's one of a kind. Mm-hmm. It's a super athlete. You know, you just, you, you, you never get another one like it. Yep. Kind of thing. You know, it can, it may not be able to take a mark over its head, but <laughs> it picks up the ball on the wing and it's unstoppable. You yep. know, like you just, like one of a kind. The 5150. Gone. It's a, it's, it's, it's a few things. You know, there's, there's been, there's been the Jack Rewald edition. There's currently the Charlie Kurnow edition. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a run of Harry McKay's, which were really unreliable. <laughs> so but they won a Coleman once. We're talking
0: full we're forwards. We're talking full forwards. Okay.
1: It's a bit of a Josh Kennedy, actually. Okay. Right. You know, it's 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 going to be good for six to seven hundred goals over its career. You know, couple of goals a game, r- mostly reliable. Might get a dodgy knee or something like that and miss a few games. Mm-hmm. But then the dual rectifier. It's Matthew Pavlich. (laughs) It can play full forward. And when it plays full forward, it's all Australian worthy. Mm -hmm. But it can also play centre-half back. And you can also run it through the midfield, even though it's a big amp. Yep. Even though it's a big (laughs) unit, you play it through the mids and it will dominate. So, yeah. All right. And a lot of people, a lot of these Victorians out there will be like Pavlich. (laughs) He's no good. Pavlich is probably the greatest player of his generation. But 353 games
0: for the Fremantle. He played for
1: Frio. Yep. Mate, Pavitt full forward, like, you know, probably in the top three full forwards at the time. Yep. Pavitt centre-half back, probably in the top three centre-half backs. He's a recto. He's a three-channel rectifier of a man, and now he's just <laughs> hanging around Perth buying sausage rolls with his kids. I, I saw I don't him at the Paw Patrol this- movie. Yeah, exactly. The premiere so- of the
0: Paw Patrol movie. I'm there. Matthew Pavlich is there. You know, the, all all the stars- Basically, this is this is a point Reed where this
1: podcast, there. yeah, this is where this podcast has jumped the shark. So, uh, <laughs> the last thing that I'll say about Matthew Pavlich is it's also easy to forget that the dual rectifier, like this, you know, how it says dual rectifier solo mm-hmm. um, on some of them. There's also like the tremor verb and yeah. the recta and there was the heartbreaker. They had all these other, it was meant to, I think it was meant to be a line of amps, and then like kind of like JCM 800 was actually a line of amps, but everyone's like, 2203, 2204, that's the best circuit in there. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, you know, there's also these other ones out there. Was Incubus, like, yep. why do I think Mike Einziger and Tremoverb? Yeah. Did he use a he, Tremoverb? He still
0: does, I think.
1: There you go. So, uh, that's one amp I would really, really like to acquire <laughs> at one point. They, you can still see them for reasonable prices where I feel one like... One came Web up G's about... Are just,
0: yeah, one came up about 12 months ago for, what was it? It was about two four ish yeah, right. Which is not too bad. There was that, and there was also a couple of a couple of other amps in the like within the same window, and I just did not have the cash for it. Like it was. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It, it just wasn't going to happen. So it'd be cool to add it to the collection. That um Fryette. Oh, sorry. The VHT Pitbull's still up for sale. So yeah, that hasn't gone that's, yet.
1: That's pretty interesting. Um, I will also just before we go because I actually have to get moving. But um, man. What a year for gear. I'm 10 days in and I still haven't bought anything, but there was a dual rectifier recording preamp that popped up. Mm -hmm. Messaged the guy, had just sold a JVM for a thousand Australian dollars, so like six, seven hundred US dollars. Mm -hmm. Messaged the guy. As I was chatting to him, the ad changed from available to sold. Oh, no. And then there was that Charvel that had been plecked with a stainless refret for like eight hundred Australian dollars. And I was like, umming and ahhing about it. I went to find the ad yesterday, sold. Yeah. So, I feel like 2024, there's going to be a lot of gear. There's going to be a lot of stuff popping up used. I feel like it's becoming a buyer's market again.
0: The unfortunate reason for that is usually people have to sell their <laughs> beloved items and um, yeah. that's a, that's a Luxury shame. Luxury
1: goods coming up for sale normally means uh, general life stuff not so good. So, yeah. yeah. So,
0: but, you know, it's- um, Yeah, I don't want to like- I don't want to rub that in anybody's face. Um, I'm- Yeah, I've got stuff for sale. No one wants to fucking buy that. I've had- um Hey, I've sold-
1: The first 10 days of this year, I've sold a bunch of stuff as well. So, you know, it's- Yeah, I'm saying these things. I'm interested in buying stuff because I've just got a bunch of cash floating around from things that, you know, I've probably lost money on over the last year or two. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it was like, you know, start of 2020, 2021- Used gear prices went berserk. So, it's more- I think it's less that, like, they're coming down and more that, like, they're coming to that midpoint between where they were and where they would have been.
0: Yeah. You know. If without- only that happens with house prices as well, mate. But Yeah. No, imagine. I that. I did buy one thing- What a thing. time to be alive. I did buy one thing yesterday, by the way. I got a um a CS7 True Tone power supply for 75 bucks. Nice.
1: Oh. Which
0: is, yeah, pretty happy about that. I had to drive to Palmyra Deal. to buy it, but, you know, it was worth it. Um, so 175
1: bucks. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. It was. Um, I was. I really ummed and ahed about that one because I'm just getting way too lazy to drive more than about 20 minutes from my house. But that Man, that worked out.
1: I live like 45 minutes away from everyone, and I'm not interested in driving 15 minutes. So that's probably a good control on me just buying stupid stuff. Yep. You know, that's what I tell myself anyway. Anyway, we were going to talk about 5150s and SLS. Let's do that another time. time. Uh, we've got some guests coming up who know about these things that mm-hmm. we can tell you about uh, maybe on the next episode. Otherwise, thanks so much for tuning in. Again, uh, like, subscribe, join Troy's OnlyFans, go and watch Matthew Pavlich highlights on the YouTube, and uh, we'll see you all for the next episode. Cheers. Bye.